Anybody ready for some word today? I trust you come hungry and ready to receive the word of God. Let's go over to the book of Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark chapter six. And get ready to receive this word that the Lord has has stirred my heart to, to share with you today. You know the Lord is at work in us continually so that His will and His plan would be accomplished. He is is seeking to work with us and work in us and work through us uh, to the end result that His desire, His highest desire, comes to pass in our lives. Basically, we could say it this way, that His good pleasure or that His will would be done in, in, in us. Now, how many remember that, uh, that the disciples of the Lord Jesus one day, they were asking Him how they should pray? And one of the things He told them, He said, you should pray that the Father, pray to the Father that His will would be done on earth as it is in in heaven, you see, it was it was very clear uh, to the Lord Jesus and to, and to those who would listen to His teaching that the will of God was not necessarily being done on the earth. That that not everything God wanted to happen was happening. Likewise, it is that way today as well. Not everything that God wants to happen is happening. Not everything He wants you to have an experience in your life are you having an experiencing in your life. Therefore, in that situation, He said, I want you to pray to that end that God's will, just like it's done perfectly in heaven, would be done perfectly in the earth, or at least as far as you're concerned, and to whatever degree your faith and influence can, can impact this. But we should not settle. He didn't want them to sit back and just accept the way things were happening and, and, and believe that everything that was happening was the will of God. He said, it's not the will of God. We've got to pray it away. We've got to pray this place into a change. Okay? And, and so God is working with us. He worked with them through, through understanding, through the Spirit of God, through prayer, and through all these methods so that His will could be established in our lives and that we could experience His best. But how many know that whenever you talk about the will of God or the plan of God or His, His, His blessings and those type of things, there's always two sides to the equation. Almost like a two-sided coin. You have to have both sides for it to be legal uh, legal currency and to be able to be spent and, and purchase things. Within the plan of God, there's also two sides. There's there's the God side, and then there's the, the man side or the human side of, of this equation. And if we don't have both parts involved, then we'll not see the desired results. We won't get exactly what God intended for us to have. And I think most of us understand this, that we cannot do it without God. If we don't have the God part of the equation, we're never going to be able to do it on our own. But let me, let me uh, include the other side of this as well. Just like we cannot do it without God, I know this is news to some, but God can't do it without us. It's never been His plan. It's not the way He designed His kingdom. He did not create us to be puppets. He did not create us where He would just rule over us in the sense of forcing us or causing us or imposing His will upon us. No, He gives us promises. He gives us, he gives us vision. He, he, he gives us uh, choices that we are to make. And when we make the right choice, when we agree with Him, when we cooperate with His plan, with His Spirit, we believe His promises, then we're working with Him, and then together great things can happen. But independent of God, I can't do it. But you know what? God, independent of me and independent of you and, and people who to cooperate with, then He can't do it either. 
I don't mean he doesn't have the power to do it, but that's just not the way things work. He doesn't override us and just force his will and plan upon our lives. So we can't really look at anyone's, any individual's life. I can't look at myself in the mirror and just say, well, everything that God wants is here. It's happening right now. It's being established. That's not necessarily the case. There must be cooperation. There must be an agreement. There must be a partnership between the Lord and you, and then his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then his will can be done in your house, in your family, in your business, in your, in your physical body. But absent of that partnership and that cooperation, we're not going to see what we want to see. And reality is, God's not going to see what he wants to see. Everybody ready for some scripture now? Let, let, let's go over to, like I said, Mark chapter 6. Mark the sixth chapter. I want to take my time here and, and really establish something that is a, a biblical principle that we need to understand. In, in the v- very first verse, it says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now we know from context he must have been telling them, he must have been talking to them about other mighty works that had been happening in his life, in his ministry. Verse 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Of course they ran out of J's when they got to Simon. Because Jesus was in there too, you know. And, and, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, this is something I don't believe we should just read over quickly and, and, and not give concentration and meditation to. Some powerful statements are made here that will absolutely upend the theology of many Christians. And I hope to do some of that today and change our thinking and help us to think like God so we can experience Him to the highest level possible. Okay? Now, when the Scripture said here that He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them. Some uh, Greek scholars and such would tell us that that actually means he laid his hands on some sickly people, or basically people with minor ailments. Okay, so those with minor ailments, some sickly people, what happened with them? They got healed, but the mighty works, in other words, bigger problems, greater healings, Mighty works were not happening there. Okay? So got some colds healed, I think. You know, some people came in with the sniffles and went out breathing good. I mean, that's the real thing. Praise God for that. Uh, Some people with a, you know, had a headache maybe, ang nail. You know, a few of those folks got... You know, their fingers were feeling good on the way out, and, 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 and they, got, they got healed of those kind of things. But those with, with bigger conditions, those with more severe sicknesses or diseases or physical problems, what happened with them? Nothing. Think about it now. 
Jesus healing meeting. What happened with most of the folks and those with bigger problems? Nothing. They came to a meeting with a problem, left the meeting with a problem. And Jesus was the preacher. The healer was in the house. Everybody with me now? And I want you to notice the language used here. It didn't say that Jesus would do no mighty work. It said that Jesus could do no mighty work. Am I reading the scripture correctly? Here's your Bible say the same thing that, that, that mine says. It didn't say that he refused to. It said that he couldn't do it. Now, now think about that for a moment. He, he didn't come into town saying, I'm going back to my own town. I went to high school with these guys. And, you know, I know all the folks here. And there's my brothers. And all the, there's the Jays. And, you know, you know and, and seeing all the guys. And they dishonored him. They questioned him. Who do you think you are? And so he was a little bit ticked off. A little bit disrespected. He came in there and said, forget you guys. We'll do the colds and stuff, but but I'm out of here. That's not what happened. Jesus wasn't annoyed with them, and so he was withholding his ability and the anointing to bring healing to them. It wasn't that at all. Jesus came in there with the express intent of doing mighty works. If he didn't, it would not have even mentioned them. If he just thought, hey, let's stroll through Nazareth, let's get a burger on the way through, say hi to a couple folks, we'll be out of here, this would not be in there. But he came to town, his own hometown, with the express intent to do exactly what he did everywhere else he went. Preach the word in power, with authority, heal the sick, raise the dead, have an explosion of God's mercy and power on the scene. But he got there... He, spe- he spoke, spoke with wisdom, started ministering to the sick, and nothing was happening except few folks were getting healed. I know this totally ruins the reputation of Jesus in the minds of many people, but we need to understand that he did not choose not to. He couldn't do it. And that's exactly what the Scripture said. He could not get the big things done. He could not do mighty works. Now, here's one thing we can see from this, is that Jesus could not do whatever He wanted to do. Jesus couldn't do whatever He wanted. He had limitation. Everybody with me? It was never an absence of the Lord's will to heal anybody, to help people, and so forth. His will was and is today a constant. How many know there was only one person? We only have one account in the ministry of Jesus of a person coming to him and said, questioning his will. One person said, if you're willing, you can make me whole. You can heal me. And you know what the Lord's response to that was? He said, I am. Be healed. Right? I am willing. How many know he's still the same today? There was no absence of his desire. You know, wasn't getting back at the, the kids from high school. <laughs> I'm going to give you a disease, buddy. <laughs> Remember the way you treated me. Remember what you called my mom. 
No, there was no absence of his will and his love towards people. That was a constant, but yet he was still unable to do these things. Now, now look over with me at Acts. Hold your finger there, by the way, if you've got a paper Bible. If it's electronic, I don't know how you put a finger there. Bookmark. Acts chapter 2. You see, when Jesus ministered on the earth, how many understand He didn't minister as God, but He ministered as, uh, as man. In other words, not as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. In other words, he laid aside his attributes as God. He didn't operate in omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence and and those attributes of God. He operated as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, just like us. He did his ministry. He ministered to the sick. He spoke to people the exact same way that we are to do it today. Human beings limited, anointed by an eternal, powerful God. Okay? And so... When Jesus ministered, though, let let, let me just say this. Was it Jesus that healed people? So so that sounds like a trick question. It is. (laughs) Did Jesus heal people? The answer is yes. Very many times the scripture says, and Jesus healed them. Here, Here, in this case, he healed a few sickly people. Right? But that's not the complete picture. That's not the entire answer to the question. Notice over here in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. This is Peter preaching after the day of Pentecost. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Do you notice that phrase? Signs which God did what? Through him. So who did the healing? God did. Who did the healing? Jesus did. Is the scripture correct when it says Jesus healed them? Yes. Is it correct when it says God or God the Father worked through him? Yes. In other words, it's just like it is today. It's just like when we minister to the sick. When our healing teams will be up here after the service and they minister to the sick. Who's doing it? They are. Who's who's doing it? God is. Both statements are true. It's both sides of the coin. God is always looking to work with people, not just on them per se. He works with an individual to reach other people. He's not doing it by himself. It's not independent of people. And I don't mean that God can't work with you as an individual without having a third party involved. He most certainly can, but he works that way. But there's still a person involved. And many times there's another person or a group of people that he will use to get his will done in their lives. So when Jesus ministered, who did it? Jesus did it. Who did it? God did it. God the Father did it. Okay? But now, back in Mark, he there, he could do no mighty work. Who could do no mighty work? Jesus could do no mighty work. Who? God the Father. Through Jesus could do no mighty work there. Now that's quite an outstanding statement and, and quite astonishing to the to the belief of many people. You saying God couldn't do it? I'm saying Jesus said that. I'm only repeating. I'm not making this stuff up. God could not heal people except for small things in that area at that time because of them. 
But literally, it was in the power of the people, the residents of that area, to invite and receive God's full manifestation and blessing, or to restrict Him so where He could only do a little bit. I don't know if anybody's interested in this, but I'm thinking, huh, I want to make sure that I'm not allowing God to just do a little bit in my life, in my church, in my sphere of influence. How can we open up, you know, open up the hatches and let it all come out? Look over at Psalm 78 with me. Psalm 78. See, this principle and this truth is not isolated just to Mark 6, which that would be sufficient. It's not like it's, uh, you know, a half of a verse that we're misinterpreting. But it's, it's in other parts of the Bible as well. Uh, in Psalm 78, we see this as well concerning Israel. See, God delivered Israel. Slave nation from Egypt was bringing them into His promised land. Remember what was that? That was His will. It was heaven on earth. It was blessed going in, blessed going out. It was, it was the blessing of God. They were to move into houses they didn't have to build and, and have vineyards they didn't have to plant and, and just reap uh, of the goodness of God. But on their way there, they had a few hiccups, right? You know, trip turned into 40 years. Two-week trip turned into 40 years. Had a few problems on the way, a few, flew, few flat tires and so forth. But notice what it said about them. Psalm 78 verse 41 Verse 41, yes, again and again, they tempted God. Not once. Again and again, what did they do? They tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You mean God limited them, right? God restricted them. No, no, no. That's not what it says. They limited God. They put the boundaries on God, not God put the boundaries on them. Someone said, I'm just experiencing this deficit and this lack and this struggle in my life because, because of what God's doing. No, 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 no. I want you to consider this. It might have absolutely nothing to do with God and everything to do with something on your side of the coin. It may be that, just a possibility here, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He loves you unconditionally and constantly no matter what you say and do. It may be that His will is not fluctuating from day to day, but He always wants you to be blessed and increased and, 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 and to be healed and, and, and to experience his, his goodness in your life. It's real possible that just like them, just like Israel, real possible just like the folks in, in Nazareth, that they put the brakes on God. That they limited what He could do to this end, that God wanted to do something. He wanted to show Himself and help people but he literally couldn't do it. They limited the Holy One of Israel. See, there's often an underlying questioning of God when life doesn't turn out like we wanted it to turn out. When we expected one thing, we thought our lives would go a certain direction, we would have certain things, we would experience certain things. There's often an underlying uh, belief that God kept things back from us. That He withheld things. That, that, that He restricted us. And um, that, you know, that God could have really helped us if he, if he chose to. But for some reason, that He probably isn't going to tell us, He's kept things away from us. Or He's directed us in a life where we would be disappointed in many areas. And then frequently we're told in those situations, well, you just need to trust God. And what they mean by that 
is not actively believe God to change circumstances and to apply His promises, but trust God that He's, you know, He's just working it out and you might not understand it. You might not understand it till heaven, but someday, if you just trust God that everything's fine, uh, you know, then you'll be okay. And we're encouraged to think that way and act that way, and that completely discounts this very real Bible truth that mankind has the ability to put the brakes on God and His goodness and His plan from being established in our lives. We want to act like, and we're encouraging people, just do nothing. Just believe that this is all God's will. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. He didn't tell us just accept that it is. He said pray that it would be different. He said, you need to be actively engaged to change things. God works with you. He'll work in you. He'll work through you. Not independent of you. We are not just puppets where He's just doing His thing. And in the end, we're going to find out that there was a, there was a master plan and this is why you had to live this way. Say, oh me, if you can't say amen. Look at the next verse. 7842. They did not remember His power the day when He redeemed them from the enemy. And you can read on and on. It points directly to their behavior. You can see one of the problems here already. You can see one of the reasons why God gets limited in people's lives is they don't remember. They didn't remember what God had already done for them. They didn't, they forgot about His power and about His, His availability, what He wanted to do in them. All they were thinking about was the problems. All they could see was the manna, the quail, the, the water, absence of water or whatever, the struggles and the hardship of the wilderness that they were never intended to, to camp in. Just passing through real quick. Never intended. But they forgot about all the, the demonstrations of God's love and power. And you can see how that was connected to what they believed and how they limited God. Over in, in the New Testament, Jesus used some of that same language. Uh, you, you remember he would, he would teach his disciples certain things. And one day he was talking about how they should be aware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, uh, and he was, seemed, to, seemed to often be annoyed with the fact that his disciples weren't getting it. He would teach them. He would demonstrate and give an example and show them. And then he'd bring something else up and they'd say, oh, we didn't bring food, did we? Oh, that's what he's talking about. We didn't bring enough bread for lunch. And he's like, <laughs> no, that's not it. And he talked to them. He, he, he even, in, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 18, he said, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? Same principle. We've got to remember stuff. We've got to remember what God has done, what He has said. And he talked to them. Don't you remember the 5,000? Remember the loaves and the fish and the, and the 4,000, how we multiplied this? We're not going to go hungry here. I'm not talking to you about lunch right now. I'm talking to you about another principle. You should get this. You should understand. But he encouraged them along the same lines that they needed to remember the provision of God, the, the, the blessing of God, the work of God in their lives. Now, Mark chapter 6. Let's go back, back to where we started. Everybody okay so far? This is my introduction. But I won't give you the whole loaf today. We'll 
partake again next time. Mark chapter 6. Now look down at verse at verse 6. Okay, because verse 5, what happened? He could there do no mighty work. Got a few sickly people here. Verse 6, and he marveled because of their, their unbelief. What did he do? He marveled because of their unbelief. This is where we're going with this, this new message right here. I want to talk to you about unbelief. It is the ultimate blessing blocker. It is something that has the potential to exist in any of our hearts and minds, and if not dealt with properly, will restrict God's will from coming to pass in our lives. It will hinder and block His power and His blessing from flowing freely to us. Jesus marveled. He identified the reason for their lack of results. He didn't back off from His his meeting on the edge of town and go, Father, what are you doing here? How come we didn't have the results that we did? He didn't blame blame God. He wasn't self-questioning, thinking, what's wrong with me? How come I couldn't get these people healed like we normally do? He wasn't insecure. But he did stand back and marvel. Or that means he was amazed. He got done with the meeting here, preaching and ministering, And he's scratching his head thinking, wow, that is impressive unbelief. He stood back and thought, I am amazed. I haven't seen unbelief like this for a while. Because he would regularly go and have fantastic results to where many times everyone in the whole crowd, I mean thousands of people, everyone who had a need got healed. And yet it didn't happen here. And he thought, Man, your unbelief stinks to high heaven here. This is this is this is amazing. He, he he was amazed at this. You know, there's only a couple times we have in in scripture where we, we see that Jesus marveled or was amazed. One is this when he was amazed at their in their their unbelief. The other time was when a guy uh, who was called a centurion, uh, the centurion had a a sick servant who was paralyzed and, and tormented by his condition, he came seeking Jesus. Jesus said, okay, I'll come. We'll, we'll, I'll come and heal him. And, and the guy responded, remember, he said, oh, no, you don't even need to come under my roof. Just speak the word. If you say it, and he talked about authority, how people would do what he said, and he was under authority and had people under him. He said, just speak the word and it'll be done. And Jesus stood back and he, he was amazed. He marveled. But why did he marvel there? Because of his faith. He said, I have not seen this great a faith in all of Israel. That is impressive. That is, um, that, is, that is amazing. I am impressed with this kind of faith. So we can see Jesus was amazed on two different sides. I'm kind of wondering sometimes. I don't know if you think this way. I'm wondering if I'm ever amazing the Lord. I'm wondering if I'm ever marveling. If he's ever marveling at me going, wow. And then I wonder, Why? If he is, I wonder if he's ever looking at our church and going, (laughs) nice, wow, that is amazing. But does it follow with their unbelief is is just outstanding. They are are severely limiting what I want to do. Or is it the other? 
Or is it the other who said, man, that is a group of people. They believe they can do anything through my power. They believe I can, I can change any circumstance and situation. You know, Hebrews 11 says that it is faith that pleases God. I wonder if he looks down on us and says, nice, way to go. I am happy about that. Or maybe there's somewhere in the middle. Most people seem to be in the middle because Jesus was not shocked or amazed on either extreme. But what do you say we take up the challenge and see if we can impress God? You're not going to impress Him with your, with your righteousness, because our righteousness is only found in Him. Not going to impress Him with your resources. or what. But if we, can, if we can walk in this level of belief, of believing, remove unbelief from our life to the point where God looks at us and knows that He has free and full access to do His work in us and through us at any time, I think that would be a, a, a noble goal. And I think that's something we can, uh, we can attain to, something we can experience in Him. Do you impress God with your faith or with your unbelief? One, one, one of these gives Him full access to your life while the other limits His power toward you. Sometimes we can find this out where we're at personally by how we respond to what happens. Are we shocked, amazed at what we call miracles? Are we shocked at healings, at, re, at, at people coming out of horrible circumstances and it turns around? Or are we shocked if it doesn't happen? Are we astonished at unbelief? This can identify and help us to locate our own heart. I mean, I don't read anywhere that Jesus was amazed or shocked or, or that he marveled in some of his meetings. I mean, had some pretty cool stuff happening. I mean, people raised from the dead. You know, the Bible talks about how maimed people were healed. You know, you know what that is? That means someone lost a limb. Someone, they came, in, they came in the meeting without an arm and left with an arm. I mean, that's pretty cool. Right? I'm thinking, yeah. Uh, but never do we have, and Jesus marveled at the instant growth of that limb. Jesus stood back and saw Lazarus as he came for, out, of the, out of the tomb and said, Wow, can you believe that? It worked! No, because that's where his conviction was. He knew who he was. He knew what he could do. He knew his father within him and what could happen. And so he wasn't amazed. He was expecting it. Where he was shocked was when, pe- when it didn't happen. Where he was shocked was when the people's unbelief was so powerful it overrode the power of God. You know, if we have, if we have uh, you know, after service, have some healings up here and people come out with, you know, new limbs and that kind of stuff, how would you respond? Enough said. <laughs> I'm telling you, we can rid our hearts of that kind of attitude that, that, that is shocked and amazed at what should be normal for a God-possessed human being. There's a way for you and I to stop God's power and blessings from affecting our lives. We may be experiencing small blessings, but hindering the very good, the very best stuff, the big stuff. That's probably where a lot of us are. We're experiencing God, 
we're experiencing his blessing. But the presence of this evil thing called unbelief is restricting the fullness of what God wants to do. And if we can figure out how to, how to get this out, oh, I tell you what, get ready. I mean, we're not, we don't have to pray for revival. We just need to act like God is real. Just need to live like He's, like he's alive and He's strong and he's, he's ever present with us today. Now, let's finish up. I didn't read the second part of verse 6. Because you remember, say, he marveled at their unbelief. Verse 6, Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Then he went about in the, the villages in a circuit doing what? Teaching. He didn't give up. He didn't throw them away. He said, ah, you guys stuff you. We're out of here. He said, I'm going to teach you how this works. Teaching is a cure for unbelief. What do you mean teaching? Understanding. He wanted to explain God's love, His power, His, the anointing, the Spirit of God, how these things work. He wanted to teach it out of them. I want to help you to get understanding to cure your unbelief. If we have unbelief today, this is the good news. It's not incurable. It's not. It can be fixed. There, there is a procedure. There is a medication. It will cure the unbelief. It is called understanding the ways, the will, the power, the presence of God. When we do, to a deg- this greater degree, there's all of God. There's the limitations taken off. Now we go full steam ahead. He went about teaching. You see, the existence of unbelief does not mean that you don't have any belief. It doesn't mean that if there's unbelief present, that there is zero belief present at the same time. It seems that these things can work in opposition to one another at the same time. And the reason sometimes we struggle with stuff is because we've got our believing, and we know what we believe, and we say, man, I believe this. But also, it's like we have on the other side unbelief pulling against us. There are reasons why both exist, but it's kind of like a tug of war. And people are going like this, back and forth. It's not that they don't believe. It's they've also got this unbelief working against them. It's like, uh, you know, in science they talk about matter and antimatter. You ever heard of matter and antimatter? Most of my knowledge of that comes from Star Trek. But, <laughs> but, but, but I, I understand it is a real... A real uh, scientific thing. But antimatter isn't just the absence of matter, in what I understand, that it's a real substance of itself. It's a, it's a real thing. Uh, and so there's, there's matter and there's anti. There's like, there's belief and there's this other force that can reside in a person's heart called unbelief. And it pulls against you. It pulls against you to the point that if it is dominant in there, it will hinder and stop the power of God from working in our lives and it will block His blessings from flowing. And if that's the real deal, and I'm kind of thinking, mm, this is right, this is right, this is right here. I want to I get this out. I want to understand how this works so I can remove it and just operate in belief and let God flow freely into me and through me and all around me. Amen. I tell you what, I hope I stirred your heart a little bit, not only to recognize this, 
But let's come back next time and let's deal with this and, and let's raise the raise our game a little bit. Let's raise our game and see God work in our lives and through us more than ever before. Amen.